Hi, this is Karina Ganters, host of Behind the Pen, and you're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. Gantas, host of Behind the Pen, and you are watching a very special edition of the show. I have my co-host uh, Wesley Britton. He is a Hi, professional folks. reviewer, author, award-winning author of the Beta Earth Chronicle sci-fi uh, collection, and uh, my special guest today is a actor. He is a director, a writer, an author, producer. Have I left anything out? I'd like to welcome to the show, Mr. Walter Koenig. Welcome to the show, Walter. How are you? It's lovely that you're here with us. I'm doing okay. I've just come off of uh, two two surgeries that have left me slightly incapacitated. Oh, dear. I can still stumble around. You look wonderful. You really do. Okay. So, I want to know, um, right, we're going back many years now. I was told recently that you were playing a younger character um, on Star Trek than you actually were. How old were you when you played, um, when you first uh, started with the... uh, I played Chekhov on Star Trek, yes. Uh, I came on the show in 1967. I was 31. And how old was your character supposed to be? 22. Ah, you see, because you, you've made that. You, you've passed that. There was no problems there. Everyone was saying the same thing. He looks so young. He looks so young. That was awesome. But, to, to, I mean, did you start your acting career with Star Trek? Because you were in your 30s. So what were you doing before then? Well, I did uh, appearances on several television series uh, that, that unless your audience is uh, at least 50, they probably wouldn't remember. But shows like uh, The Untouchables and Combat and Ben Casey and um, uh, several others. I, I played Lee Marvin's son on, on one show, which was great fun. And uh, Lieutenant and... Um... Twilight Zone, I think. What's that? I said, I think I know you're on the Lieutenant. I think you're on the Twilight Zone. I was with on Shatner. I wasn't on Twilight Zone. I was on the uh, Alfred Hitchcock's. That's was, the one. Yeah, people <laughs> confused it. They were there. They were on the air at the same time. Uh huh. I've heard. I mean, I'm I'm a young one. I'm young. I'm probably the youngest here. And uh, I heard of the Untouchables, so I'll get one point for that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the people that will be watching this show are going to be fans of the original series of Star Trek. And uh, so back then, they're going to know all of the shows you've been in. So even if I, I don't, that's no problem there. So how come, this is my first question, how come you weren't in the first episode of Star Trek? The first episode of Star Trek was the pilot. And the pilot was on the year before, was on in 1966, or maybe even 65. Um, Yes, I was not uh, involved with the show at at that point. Um, Jeff Hunter was the lead in the pilot, um, became a major feature film performer. And I, I believe played God, played well, played Jesus Christ in a in a motion picture uh, prior to. That's right. Was, pardon? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and he did not. They wanted to do uh, the, the idea of Star Trek. They weren't happy. Uh, they being the network weren't happy with the uh, 
with the uh, the show that they we act, they actually made. They thought it was. I think they thought it was too intellectual, not yeah. not act, not action oriented. Uh, I'm not. I'm, I guess I wasn't involved. I'm not. I'm a little hazy on the reasons. And in any case, they decided to do a sec rather than just cancel it or just put it aside. They decided to do a second pilot. This time they brought in uh, Jeff Hunter. Uh, Hunter uh, evidently didn't want to do it, or his wife. I heard didn't want him to do it. In any case, they brought in Bill Shatner to, to play the captain. It was a wise choice. He was extremely good in the part. Yeah. So that was 1965, 66. 66 was the first season of Star Trek. I came up. Then they decided they, they, they would like somebody who would appeal to the, the, the prepubescent pre uh, viewer, you know, from eight to 12 or 14. <laughs> and I was chosen to be the groovy young baby <laughs> Joes. And we made up the thing about being 22 because 31 was a little, uh, I think, too old for, for that uh, age group. You you passed that. I mean, you you looked young in the in the uh, the series, so you definitely didn't look your your age. Um, that's, that's good to know that uh, there was two pilots. Can you imagine if they just gave up after the first pilot, what would have happened? It's like there would have been no original cast, no original series, then there would have been no films, and then there would have been no um, everything discovery, else, yeah. everything, everything. If it wasn't for the first show, the first uh, season, if it wasn't for the first cast, the merchandise, the 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 um, the cult uh, uh, following that you have, the fan base. Oh, I went on to have a look at your fan base, just yours alone. How many places there were that just uh, admire you and 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 just uh, just for uh, for um, uh, Walter his own fan base, loads, absolutely loads. Well, they, they, they achieved their goal. They, the, the fan mail I got was indeed from very young people, mostly writing in pencil on lined paper. Uh, but, um, you know, that's, that's life in general, and certainly that's the history of Star Trek in particular. Uh, you know, it's a, the world is capricious and, and uh, you, you, you cannot predict what's going to, to happen. And certainly in a business as mercurial and uh, changing in, in, in nature as television and television series, uh, things sometimes go the way you anticipate and more frequently something happens and you never find out why uh, they changed course but suddenly it's a whole different ball game. Yeah. So um, that's, that's uh, our show is sort of the, the epitome of, of that kind of that, of that <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> of that kind of um, business. Um, when we were canceled in 1969, uh, we thought that was it, you know, we were done. Uh, what's going to happen the rest of our lives? Um, and as a matter of fact, for a year and a half, nothing. I, I started writing and to keep me sane because I had no other reason to get up in the morning. There was there were no phone. There was no phone calls. No no inquiries, demands uh, for my um, for, for my t for whatever talent I have uh, to to appear in you know on television anywhere or anywhere else. So. Um, yeah, that, so it, it's a strange business. You've got to love it. You got in order to stick with it for six. Uh, yeah, it's uh, an eighty-four. It's fifty-four. I, I've been, I've been, I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what I tell young people. I say, you, you ask me how, how how do you get into the business, and it's not a matter of so much of getting in. It's just holding on. You know. Uh -huh. 
uh, just waiting and, and, and keep working at it. And yeah. you got to keep trying and discouragement and disillusionment, which is part of your, 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 it could, it could just as well be the socks you wear because you're always dealing with, you know, it, it's always something uh, to, that you have to overcome. So I, that's what I tell folks. I tell them, you know, you got to just hang in there and uh, if it's meant to be, and sometimes that's not true. If it's meant to be, it will happen. No, that's not true. I've known lots of young actors. When I was a young actor, some of them were extremely talented and I never heard of, from them, of them again. Yeah, it's a lot, lot about who you know in the business, isn't it? Not not just yeah. how good you are, it's not who you know. Who you know, it's there's this thing that happens. You, you made it's a, it's a it's more, if you're going to use a cliche, it's more being in the right place at the right, the right time. time. Yeah. Oh, Mark Cushman, he, he's the Mark author Cushman. of the. Uh, yeah, we're good the, friends. Uh, yeah, the the voyages of. Uh, right. Yeah, he's, he came on and we, we talked about uh, how uh, he got hold of all the memos and uh, episodes and scripts that never made an episode and also the ratings that were, people were lied about saying that uh, the show was cancelled because of low ratings when they had the actual ratings in front of them and uh, how controversial some of the episodes were according to the uh, network and uh, so that yeah. was uh, well, that was the whole that was the whole um, um, motivation for Gene Roddenberry who created uh, Star Trek he he wanted to um, uh, create a show that would would take issue with some of the more controversial um, socio-political uh, the environment, uh, the socio-political environment at the time, uh, when we, we when uh, most television series would not engage uh, in controversial issues, it stayed out. They, they didn't talk about Vietnam, and they stayed out of uh, circumstances, situations where they might lose part of their audience uh, mm. who didn't agree with them. But Gene was very um, he's very adamant. <laughs> Yeah, he was very adamant and very uh, vociferous, and he stuck by his guns. And as a consequence, there was lots of contentious conversation between uh, Gene Roddenberry and the network. But um, as, and the network was trying to get get rid of the show, and, yeah. uh, and that's what Mark was referring to: is that that um, they were complaining that our that our ratings were too low. And evidently, they were doctoring those ratings. Uh, they they were totally acceptable. Uh, in fact, we were second in almost every every time slot we had during the yeah. three years we were on the series. So I, I don't have to re repeat this, Marcus. I'm sure I told you all of this. But um, th there you are again. You know, um, the show probably should have gone seven years. Definitely. Uh, uh, but the folks at the networks. You know, it, it's true that, um, well, let me, put, let me put it to you this way. When I started writing for television, um, I would come up with an idea and I get the go ahead to do an outline and then a first draft. And the producers would call me and say, uh, we got it. And uh, what do you think of it? They would ask me, what do I think of what I've written? <laughs> It's wonderful. It's the most brilliant <laughs> thing. Ever. The As reason, every author would say. <laughs> the reason they asked that, and I'm sure they asked, asked that of every writer, because they didn't know. They didn't know if it was good or bad. You know, bef before becoming producers, they weren't apprentice producers. They weren't assistant producers. They came from the mail room. You know? <laughs> Sorting mail, and then suddenly, the, you, know, you know, that's not true in every case, but certainly there is, a, there is a case to be made for the fact that they were very inexperienced. Many, many people who were in executive positions and in, 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 in positions of uh, 
responsibility. So, um, yeah, so, so they, the people at the networks were nervous. They, they, were, they thought we would fail. They, they thought uh, the show was still too intellectual. Um, ad nauseum, uh, all the reasons that they were giving for not wanting to do Star Trek. Bless his heart, Gene Roddenberry was very determined. Very. And, and um, he got the three years, but of course we, we didn't get any more because of the things I said. Um, and Mark, I'm sure, was able to give you much more information than I can because he's done so much research. Wow. He has so many books out. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, that, that, that deal with that. And they're, they're fascinating reading. So uh, yeah, I, most definitely. I, yeah. Okay. Well, let's um, get to some very strange fan questions. <laughs> okay. This one's from Francis Lalande. He says, "Does being a writer help or hinder you as a director?" Question. Well, the only directing I did was I directed on stage. I think I directed theatre. Um, Sure. Um, when you're, you look at the script when you're the director and you make choices and you decide um, if, it's, if it's well structured, um, if, the, if the characters relate to each other, if, if it is not, does the dialogue sound natural, uh, 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 their objectives, what, what, what they're there for. Uh, how how would they they uh, fit into fit fit into the story structure, and uh, what 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 we were trying to what they're trying to say, and how do you and how truthful they are, I you know um, after we did Star Trek one and Gene was kind of eased out of the motion picture part of things, we had a new. Uh, uh, producer come in, Harv Bennett, and uh, Mark may not have, in what you've read or what you've heard from him, he, he might not have gotten that far as the movies, but he has books on the movies, the Star Trek movies as well. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, About the new director. About the new director. Oh, yeah. So uh, I, I got a copy of this, uh, an, an early edition of Star Trek II. I, you know, and I read it and I was aghast. There was a violation of, of, of the most uh, uh, basic writing uh, uh, um, tenant that, uh, that, that goes with being, being a, a writer of any kind. And that is with very few exceptions, you don't kill off one of the stars of the, of the story in the second act. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, I don't know. Right. I mean, some writers do. <laughs> no, you don't do that. You, you know, you, you, you had three ionic um, symbols in our stories. It was Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and the Enterprise. And if you're going to do away with one of those entities, you better make it the, the Enterprise. The, yeah, the, the, the theatrical ending, the most dynamic, captivating uh, story uh, element that you have in your, your story. You don't you don't kill off the, 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 the lead, and then you suddenly are dealing with secondary characters um, uh, who you don't have the vested interest that you do as the people who are doing leads. You know, Kirk. Spock and McCoy really loved. Their mail reflected it. These were the people you're going to focus on. So I told them, you can't kill off Spock in the second act. That's the way they had it. And I said, I know you've heard this already. He says, no, I haven't, which I found bizarre. Oh, wow. Bizarre that nobody else had picked up on that. But he was impressed enough by my adamancy my determination um, um, that he took it to heart. They rewrote it and they wrote it in the third act. And you then he asked me. saved him. 
or until the end of the movie. No, it couldn't, it couldn't have gone to film. It couldn't. I can't believe that it would have ever gone to film. Somebody would have had to know that you can't do that. Um, in any case, he then asked me to do what he, what he called a tricky run on the script and find out what else was wrong. Oh, that was nice. Uh, yeah, well, it was to, to his advantage to, because even though he had, he had watched all 79 episodes, which certainly is uh, to his credit, um, uh, Harv Bennett um, as a new producer, there were still little things, little things uh, um, that we wouldn't say, you know, that were in the script. So I pointed those out and they were incorporated. And uh, at that juncture, we had a script that was consistent with, uh, with the TV series. Um, awesome. But acknowledged the fact that 10 years had transpired, but was uh, certainly an extremely good story with Ricardo Montalban playing the adversary uh, and, and Bill playing the protagonist. They were great because they were very, very strong characters. We all know Captain Kirk, but it's, the trap in story writing is the villain, is the antagonist, because, because it's frequently presented sort of a two-dimensional character, you know, <laughs> you know and, and just uh, very powerful but scary and um, doesn't have to even be human, you know. Oh, um, Russell Khan, no, exactly. Well, Ricardo was human. Um, but we've done others. Genetically engineered, but a human, yeah. Yeah. In Star Trek Three, we had a Klingon as the bad guy. So, um, which was more in keeping with, 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 with the conventional idea of the bad guy. But in any case, I thought uh, Star Trek Two with, with Ricardo playing the antagonist was a great choice and he was a, a, a delightful human being. He was a real gentleman. He had been the a star in movies and did not, it did not uh, reflect it itself in his ego because he was a very uh, amicable actor who was very professional, very much prepared to listen to suggestions and to, and to act on them. So it was a, it was a terrific script. I had a nice part. Uh, I generally didn't have uh, roles that were as engaging. Um, so I, I I think your question was something about Star Trek too. <laughs> I, a, I, I okay, Brett A. Harris says that you wrote a graphic novel. He says that you wrote a graphic novel. So what was this yes. graphic novel about? Oh, it was about vampires. Oh, so was mine. I wrote a graphic novel about vampires. Really? Yeah. <laughs> mine was about um, how they came to be, how vampires came to be uh, at the very beginning. And I thought it was pretty good. I had a really good artist doing... Uh, uh, the the drawing. Um, I had a terrible, terrible publisher who did nothing, who did nothing to pr to, to promote it. Um, you know that's, that's nothing the, new. Uh, <laughs> been there, done so, that. Pardon? I was saying, been there, done that. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure most of us have. Um, but it was, it was very satisfying doing it, to seeing it evolve and uh, uh, finished it and got it produced. And very, I, it must have had a very, very small audience because I, I, I never got a lot of uh, email about it. <laughs> it's um, funny that we both there, did we, that. What did you call yours? What did you call your graphic novel? Um, God, you shouldn't have asked me that. Um, it was, um, 
Can you hold on one second? <laughs> we'll go for it. <laughs> and I just read it this morning. Not the gobble, but I read the name of it. Oh, the, the graphic novel. Yeah, if you go to, I went to his Amazon author page because he's got one, two, three, four, five publications. Okay, so this is called Things to Come. Uh -huh. It was inspired by H.G. Wells. And this, this is my graphic, graphic novel. Wow, um, mine was called Bloodlust. So, so it's quite obvious for a I, vampire. I, I, let's, I, get, I, let's get on with I, another I, question. Eric Klein once said, um, which did you enjoy playing more, Mr. Chekhov or Mr. Bester? And someone yeah. else said, and asked another question, many of your fans think that Bester was one of the best, greatest sci-fi characters ever. <laughs> How do you feel about that? Well, I don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have as, at least as big an ego as it as the other guy, probably bigger. Um, no, I was I, I loved playing uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Bester on uh, on Babylon Five. That was an extraordinarily satisfying experience. I loved working with everybody on the show. The executive producer Joe J. Michael Straczynski wrote almost all of the scripts, which is an extraordinary achievement. The character, whenever he appeared, I, I wasn't a, an every week character, but I, I, over the course of five seasons, I was on 12 episodes. But each time I was on, I was on in a, in a, in a part that the, uh, that the story focused on. It was an, an instrumental character. So, uh, and quite, quite different, of course, I was 15 years older than I was when I would play Chekhov, maybe 20 years older, and maybe 30 years older. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah, that was great. Uh, I, I love doing it, if for, if for no other reason, and there are other reasons, if for no other reason, then, to show, then at least to show that I had some range, that I wasn't uh, limited to playing a, they absolutely loved you, Bester. Yeah, no, they loved Bester. Yeah, quoted one of the best sci-fi characters ever. Actually, they had a couple of contests or something, and Bester was the was chosen from from I don't know eighty thousand, hundred thousand people who wrote in as the character they they most loved to hate. Hi everyone, I'm Karina Gantus, your host for Behind the Pen. I am an award-winning author of 14 books. I'm a podcaster, YouTuber. I have my own radio show on the Artist First Radio Network called Author Assist. And I also run Author Assist, which helps independent authors with their promotion and marketing. Today is a very special episode of Behind the Pen. I have a co-host with me, Wesley Britton, who will be taking over for the second half of this uh, episode. So uh, sit back and enjoy. Anyway, hello, people and fans and all the ships at sea. This is Wes Britton taking over the podcast. And now I'm sitting here with Walter, finally, with questions that I've been trying to ask really for a year because it was last year in the middle of the summer that I reviewed his most recent book. And I say most recent because he's written, um, you know, his two autobiographies. He's written some other books as well that I think he talked a little about with Karina, including his graphic novel. But I am here to talk about his book. And first of all, say this is really our third conversation, Walter. The first one, I'm sure you don't remember. That was the Star Trek convention. And your talk to me was not very memorable considering one of the fans that was a real pesty was getting on your nerves <laughs> don't believe you second time around was you came on a radio show that um i used to co-host and uh was interviewing mark cushman for one of his earlier star trek books i don't remember which one anymore it was like my second or third interview with mark because i reviewed all his books for my spy on 
and he brought you along on that particular episode. So I'm guessing that was probably his second volume of These Are the Voyages. But we talked about a number of things on that. In fact, you told an anecdote there that I prompted you from the Star Trek convention. And you didn't think anybody would know what you were talking about. You were doing your impression of Catherine Hepburn that you did on the set of, I believe it was um, Star Trek Four. Yeah, one that Leonard Nimoy was debating or directing. But I want to get past Star Trek because you talked with Karina about that for a while. I want to talk to you about your book and first ask you the question about waiting for a year. When I have read your book all the way through from start to finish, I had the serious impression you were having a good time writing that book. I'm guessing you and really enjoyed the process of writing. Am I right? Well, it's writing a biography, an autobiography, is really, I think, probably the simplest kind, uh, or the easiest kind of writing um, in, in a couple of regards. I mean, structurally, I just it in chronological order uh, for the first, for the first uh, edition of it. Um, I wandered a little bit when we, we when we republished and I added the last 20 years. Um, but yeah, it was fun. Uh, you know, I, 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 my memory is really good from about um, 2018 back. <laughs> it's the last couple of years. I, you know, I understand, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the, the creative process is only in terms of structuring the words because the memories are quite clear, and particularly the, the, the bad ones. I, I have a wonderful oh. capacity for imprinting those in my cerebral cortex and having them available whenever I need to feel bad. <laughs> wow. But you still, and, and how about the process itself, not just the content, but the sitting down and doing it? Did you enjoy that process? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, I even enjoy the process of writing nonfiction. Unfortunately, I'm not as, I don't appear to be as adept in writing nonfiction as, as I, uh, no, 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 I got it backwards. I'm, I'm more adept at nonfiction than I am fiction. And I have a novel that I've been working on and um, I start and I stop and I start and I stop and I, and I, and it's a little, the story is complicated and the structure is complicated. And um, I don't know if I'm getting, and I keep saying, I'm gonna give it to somebody to read. I, I only gave it to Mark and, he, and Mark Cushman, and he was very generous. So I don't know if I trust, I trust what, what he had to say. Uh, but in any event, um, that's, that's a little tougher, but m more exciting. Because mm -hmm. if, if, I can, if I can bring to the printed page something uh, uh, at least nominally uh, unusual and unfamiliar and make the, uh, and capture the, capture my audience with it, uh, then I feel, um, I feel like writing, that kind of writing is really great, but it's also agonizing. Yeah. I'm not always sure that I'm, I'm doing a good job. So that's exactly where I am now. I'm writing a, 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 a fiction and a novel with, it's really kind of complicated. I have uh, each chapter is, is 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 written by a different voice. Mm, I did that. I mean, it's it's they're all on me, but it's a different style in each chapter. And I don't know. And I I I want to say, how dare you think you can do this when you're just writing in one voice is 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 difficult. And here I'm trying to because each chapter is totally, it's an entity unto itself. Although they, they all come together uh, ultimately, but the, each chapter is, is like a little, a mini story. And I'm, I'm doing them in different voices and- uh, Different characters, I'm guessing? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't really um, address 
who the character is. Oh, I do in one in one case. He said, I, I I do it in the first in the first person, but in the other is I I just because the chapters are a little strange, the voices are a little strange. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can. I'm 84 for God's sakes. I, I don't know. I can finish this <laughs> anytime soon. So, but that you know, and with with the coronavirus, that's pretty yeah. much my life. How far along are you? Third of the way, halfway through? Uh, no, no, I'm uh, about sixty pages. Oh, okay, yeah, you got a long way to go. Yeah, yeah. When you get to the point where you would like some beta readers, let me know. Okay, okay, I'll do it. Unlike Mark, I know Mark does not like to read fiction. At least he's told me that a number of times. Maybe that's just his way of not having to read my stuff. But, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I would, yeah, I'd be curious about that. Let me know down the road when you get to a point where you want some people to read it. Okay. Well, I, one thing else I wanted to ask you about. I've had this question for a year. Is I know that Star Trek fans and Babylon Five fans are going to be the first primary audience you're going to read simply because of what you did as an actor i like the whole book i think the one thing that really makes it um stand out is the whole story of being the inside in hollywood mm -hmm. and all of the ways you had to go through to get to where you did get to and all of the triumphs and all of the falls and all of the different directions you took and it seems like you had a lot of appreciation for your stage work what do you say to pull in readers who might not be Star Trek fans to make them think this would be a worth their time? I'm not sure there are any that. Oh, <laughs> no. okay. Let, let us assume there are some non Star Trek fans who've read the book. Um, what I hope they get out of it is, is, a, is a, a feeling of candor. Yeah. And, and, uh, I'm pretty honest about what I write. I'm I, um, I'm not bitter. Uh, no. I, I don't think I, I don't think this is an as a, an opportunity as a vehicle to come down on people. I make a couple of jokes about a couple of cast members, but it's I don't think there's anything that's really mean in my book. Uh, you're not going to get a, a, a tell-all story that would embarrass anybody or or um, make them feel alienated. Um, That's a very positive book, I think. Oh, good, good. Yeah, so um, you get, get to know a little bit about Hollywood, how it works. Uh -huh. um, uh, and changes in the industry over the decades. Yes, thank you. <laughs> you want to co-write in the... In the <laughs> Well, I do better in fiction than non. Well, no, that's not true. My nonfiction books are probably <laughs> better. I don't know. I won't say. But, have, uh, have you been published? Yes. Oh, who 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 published your books and and what were the titles? Well, the first three were by Prager Publishers. They were nonfiction on spy TV and spy movies, oh. spy television, Beyond Bond, spies in fiction and film, and then on screen and undercover. And then I went over to Bear Manor Media and they did my encyclopedia of TV spies. And by that point I was sick to death of spies. <laughs> so that's when I flipped over into science fiction and I've been working on my Beta Earth Chronicles ever since. And book eight just came out on the 22nd. Oh, good. So it keeps going. And um, I tried to get Mark to read one and maybe get a review out of him. No, I don't read fiction. Well, okay. <laughs> I've reviewed every blessed one of his books, and they never end. Did you ever extrapolate from television series and, and write a book uh, about a, a series that was on the air? No, I've never written a book like that. I didn't even thought about it, to be honest. That sounds like something down your alley, to be honest. And that was another question I wanted to ask. When I was looking over your book titles, there was, of course, um, two autobiographies version one and then version two. And then I noticed one that I, I knew the title of earlier this afternoon before we had all these strange technological issues. What were the other books that you have published? The graphic no novel? 
um, the, the, the graphic novel is called Things to Come. Yeah. And uh, that's the title is borrowed from Wells. H2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I wrote a, uh, a, a kind of satiric fantasy science fiction thing called Buck Alice and the Actor Robot. That's the one I was going to ask you about. I never heard of that one. What's the story there? The story there was is there's, there's a backstory that, that should be uh, uh, summarized in as few words as possible. <laughs> um, I had um, like like all the other Star Trek actors, there, there came the point when the umbilical cord was severed, and it was severed rather brutally. Hello, Walter. This is Gene Roddenberry. We're, we've been canceled. You know, hope to work with you again sometime. So that that that's the backstory. I, I I woke up every morning thereafter wondering what am I going to do with this day, you know. And it got to be a couple of months of of, ha of having no direction, not having any idea of uh, what the day would bring, and that quite possibly it wouldn't bring anything. And then I finally said, I've got to I've got to have some 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 goals, some something, you know, that I can look forward to, that I can that I can incorporate in my life that'll give me some structure and some sense of purpose. And I said, I'm gonna write a novel. And I sat down, I didn't outline it, I didn't I didn't uh, characterize uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in advance the characters who were going to be in it, the relationships. I just started writing. And um, curiously, in some kind of bizarre way, it came together. It came together with a beginning, a middle, and an end. In fact, one guy recently said to me that I read your book and I was halfway through, I was so damn sure that you couldn't finish this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you have little faith. Yeah, because there was so much going on, so many characters. I had too many characters. I had about 30 characters in this. But I, br I brought them all together, and I and I had an, an ending that was a real ending. It wasn't like and 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 then they woke up, you know, or something. <laughs> um, and I had a good time writing it. Um, but what, what happened was I showed it, I showed it to three people in advance of, of trying to get it published. All three were writers. All three wrote for Star Trek. George Clayton Johnson was one of them. I don't know if you remember George, but he was he wrote several episodes of the series, as well as Twilight Zone and, and, and other things. Another one is Shimon Wils I got it, Shimon Winselberg. I never thought I'd remember that. He was a very, very good writer who had a play on Broadway called Kataki uh, with Hayakawa, whatever is can't remember. Um, and they both liked it. They both thought it could be, it would, would, be, it would be published and that, uh, and they were very pleased for me. The third writer I started to was, was a much closer friend. At least he was until he read it. <laughs> <laughs> that was Harlan Ellison, who you probably- Oh, oh he is a cranky cuss anyway, isn't he? Oh yeah, and he hated it. He absolutely hated it. You can't hate anything more than if, if through somebody who had murdered your children. <laughs> well, that's the way I felt. I felt like he murdered my child because he hated it so much. My book being my child. So I stuck it in the drawer and it, sit, and it sat there for 18 years. And then for some reason I took it out. Somebody was curious about it. And they read it and they gave it to the editor of a small publishing company and they wanted to publish it. And they did, and they gave me a, a very modest stipend for publishing it. And uh, and that and that uh, and, and and that ran out, the uh, the contract ran out and it became mine again. But in the meantime, somebody can we make a long story at least a little less boring. It was not boring. It was it was picked up by another publisher with a little bit more credentials, authentic credentials. They published it, 
didn't do very well. It, that contract expired, picked up by a third publisher. All young people, you know, in their late 20s, 30s, and each one had their own publishing company. And that got published, and I'm still getting, you know, um, royalties, dollar and a half, you know, two and a half bucks. Uh, so they still, they're still publishing, they still, they still have it anyway. And um, so I probably have, I hold the record for the most publishing of a book that, that sold the least number of copies. <laughs> So it was fun. It was it kept me it kept me sane in a time when I had nothing else going on. Nobody was calling me for jobs as an actor. I had something to do every day. I had a purpose in my life, and I enjoyed the uh, the process. So that's that's what Buck Alice is is about. Have it's you about ever considered doing an audio book version of it? I did it. I did. Oh, did you? Yeah, I w my wife and I went. We were we were invited by a uh, gentleman who produced audio uh, dramas, uh, and um, he he thought it would be a. <laughs> you know where this is going by my first question. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it was going to be a great success. We went back to the Boston area. Um. It wasn't Boston itself, it was another little town outside of Boston. It was very charming. We hired about 25 actors, professional actors, to play the roles. I carried the narration and everybody else the characters in the story. And it was, what is the one that's, 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 it's not broadcast, it's broadcast up in the air. It's, it's bounces off a, um, oh, what the hell is it called? Uh, Talking about online radio? Yeah, it's an online radio thing. Uh, it's the it's the one with streaming. The, which one? You mean streaming? I don't know what streaming is. Really, <laughs> serious radio. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. Who are you? <laughs> I just chirp in when necessary. Never mind me. Go back to work. <laughs> you, you can't get, give us a big help there. So they, so they, uh, you know, he loved it. I, I saw. I mean, I heard it, and I thought this is not going to work. It's so long. It was like they did, they they sold it first as a uh, as an audio DVD. Yeah. It went. It was. It was at least six hours. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not and, bad for I got I got about halfway through it and I said, I can't listen to any more of this. <laughs> so we lost we lost contact. He, he he had it on on that system. But I haven't talked to him in a couple of years, so I don't know what happened. But yeah, to answer your question in as convoluted and as <laughs> roundabout way as I possibly can. Um Indeed, it it, 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 it it went it went to radio. Now you had another book there. It was Chekhov's something. I forget the full title. Well, that was a uh, that was a oh Chekhov's Enterprise. Yeah, yeah that that was the first book I wrote, and I actually wrote that while making the the first Star Trek movie. I mean, I, I sat in my dressing room when I wasn't on stage. And I, I so it was it's very authentic and was very much to the moment because I was writing each day about what was happening. Um, that was pretty successful. Oh. That was was the it was determined that that was entertaining, <laughs> <laughs> fun to read, uh, and it sold pretty well. Uh, the only thing the only thing was. That Gene Roddenberry's secretary was also writing a book about the making of the movie. And it wasn't nearly as interesting as mine because it was, just, it was, it was just press press notices that had, she, she, had she had extrapolated uh, from magazines and newspapers and pretty much gave a very dry account of the making of the movie. I think mine was far more 
far more inter interesting. Your personality came through it like it did to your last, your latest book. It would be. Yeah. Well, thank you, and, and I think it did. So, um, yeah. So I, I did that on the set, and um, it came out. Oh, so the point is, the, my point was that the secretary book, as I said, was very dry and very. Uh, and, and there was, and, and she wasn't on the set and she was in her office and she was writing this. So that's where she got her material. She got it from magazines and newspapers. And, uh, but she was his secretary. So uh, they were gonna sit, let, they were gonna issue my book in uh, around Christmas. She would have been a great stocking, stocking stuffer. But she had um, a little extra inside track. Yeah, she had a pull. So they pulled my book and didn't and didn't release it until March or April, and it didn't have the same didn't have the same audience it would have had. So anyway, that's uh, I think that's all the books. Yeah, that's, that's all. Cool. Well, I really wanted to have a lot of time talking to you about your writing background because. I know people pester you to death about Star Trek and even about Bester, so I wanted to look sure. into other sides, though, uh, Walter Koenig. Speaking of other sides in your book, I'm reading some memory farts as we go along. <laughs> you really seem to be very proud of your time with stage work, aren't you? Uh, well, I think it's the most uh, satisfying, the most rewarding and satisfying. And generally, when I did this, uh, a play, um, I, I was substantially involved in it. If I wasn't playing the lead, I was playing a very good role. So I had something to do. I had, I, I had, I had work that I had to do in, in developing the, the character, um, whatever it was. I, I, I played Scrooge, you know, and I don't know, some people seem to take Christmas Carol as just a, a light ch child's you know, uh, work. You know, it's, I mean, uh, the audience was very young, but it, but you know, it's it's Dickens for God's sakes. You know, it's beautifully written, and Scrooge is on the stage the entire time. He, he never leaves the stage. So I had a great great time doing that. I did a, a play called White House Murder Case, uh, which was a very dark comedy, and uh, that that was quite successful. Um, I did a steam bath where I played a Puerto Rican towel attendant who was actually God and he is, he's, he is, he is um, doing his godly stuff from the, from the steam bath. Um, he's, he's calling, he's calling people and or to, whoever he's calling, I don't think we ever established that. And he tells them who's going to die and who and how they should die. It's again dark comedy, but Very. a lot of fun to do and well received. So there are there are a bunch of plays. Um, I did a play called. Um, um, I, I I did a play called Night Must Fall, which was a melodrama, which I played a psychopathic killer who carries around a woman's head in the hat box, uh, which was terrific, it was fun. I mean, you don't see the head, you don't, and, you know, it's, it's the play. And um, that was, that was, uh, that was a great cast. We did it in a small theater. It, it, it was successfully received. Um, I did a play with Mark Leonard. I don't know if you know who Mark Leonard is, but Mark. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah, he played Spock's father. He's a terrific actor. Uh, we did the boys in the boys in summer about Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer uh, getting together like forty years later, and they each have a secret that they ultimately uh, reveal, but it takes them a long time to get around to it. But again, it was a great, a great fun. Kirk Douglas and Burton Lancaster took it on the road, and uh, they weren't. They took it in San Francisco and were going to go on. To, this was before, obviously before us, and they were going to go on to New York. But they, the, the, the material, I guess it was the material that was, I don't know, 
what what the approach was or what the the criticisms were, but they decided not to pursue it. So it it didn't get past San Francisco. Uh, they they didn't want any. I remember, I remember hearing that they didn't want any reviewers there, but one snuck in. One didn't like it, and they abandoned the project. And George C. Scott did it in New York before any of us did, and I think he did a very good job uh, playing. It's called the Boys of Summer. Boys of Summer, yeah. And I thought I knew all the media adaptations of Mark Twain's characters. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 worth reading certainly, and we had standing room only. We had a small house. We had standing room only, and we took it on the road, did it at conventions and several conventions and at a couple of colleges. We did it at one theater in Pennsylvania that seated about 200. And we did it in another theater, I think in Hershey, that seated oh. 2,000. So oh. it was an amazing, it was an amazing time and great fun. And Mark was so good um, as Huckleberry Finn. Um, it was, uh, it was- I'm trying to picture that. Yeah. You guys have such an age disparity and you're, the Buck and Tom are pretty much the same age. Yeah, I don't think it was that obvious. I don't think this disparity was that great. I am 84. Yeah. You know? So I was I was in my late 50s, early 60s when we when we did that. 50s, I guess. This is all, you know, quite a time after Star Trek. Part of, yeah. 84, does that mean you're done doing stuff or you? I'm not not my choice, not my choice, you know. I'm here, I'm ready. I think I can still memorize lines. Uh, I'm, I'm, I am working on this book, uh, this, this novel, but I'm, I'm only, you know, 55, 60 pages into it. And um, I, um, I, don't, I, I, I wake up some mornings and think, this is really worth pursuing. And then there are days when I reread what I've written and I think this, this just, just doesn't, doesn't make it. It's not, it's not, it's interesting concepts. And I really do believe that, but I'm not, I'm not sure that I really executed them as, as well as they should be if it's going to be published, professionally published material. So I'm still battling with that. Um, Did you feel like that with your your autobiography? No, no, uh, no. I first of all, I knew I had a built-in audience. Yeah, uh, and uh, they're rooting for me. You know, yes. Yeah, and I, I generally I don't recall any bad reviews for 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 the first autobiography. Uh, the uh, the, sec the second one, which is the first one plus. The last twenty years is, is I'm still getting reports. It hasn't been out there that long. Right, since last summer, yeah. Yes, but it seems to be um, reasonably successful. So I don't know. Well, I read some of the reviews that you did a lot of revising of the first version, uh, more speed and all of that. How much revising did you do of your original autobiography? No, I didn't do any. Oh, okay. Then the reviews are wrong. I just added this, the second part, and we republished the whole thing. That's twenty. Pardon? I was going to say, you know, there's a hundred other pages. There's no Star Trek there, so this is really for those who want to learn about you and I say Hollywood. Um, yeah, that's true. That's quite true. There's a there's a lot about that. I think your partner asked me that. Of course, I don't remember things that happened two hours ago and uh, with any, with any uh, confidence. I remember things that happened 50 years ago. I'm really good with the old days, you know, the, the, the 40s and the 50s and the, and the 60s. I'm, I'm really sharp with that. Uh, the other stuff I've got I to fight for. Ultimately, uh, you know, I think I filled it with uh, stories that are entertaining and uh, are, are true. Somebody recently asked me on an interview if everything I wrote was true uh, or, or was it embellished? 
because my, the style of writing uh, doesn't, you know, I try to make it entertaining. It's not, you know, it's not uh, uh, Burns' documentary. It's, it's Walter Kane again, how he thinks. And Thank you to everyone who watched the show. I hope you enjoyed this very special edition of Behind the Pen. I'd like to thank uh, Walter for uh, taking his time to uh, join us and for Wesley being a fantastic co-host. So until next time, bye for now.